Welcome to episode three of TMI, the Melanin Initiative podcast. Today's episode is titled Mental Health Awareness. Mental health is defined as a state of mental well-being that enables people to cope with the stresses of life, realize their abilities, learn well and work well, and contribute to their community, according to the World Health Organization. Why is this episode important? Well, mental health awareness is crucial for Black and Brown communities because our communities are often subjected to systemic oppression, discrimination, and racism, which can lead to mental health problems such as anxiety, depression, and PTSD, or post-traumatic stress disorder, as well as more costly care, more hospitalizations, more torn relationships, more absenteeism at work, and encounters with law enforcement. Thankfully, the topic of mental health is slowly becoming normalized, and the stigma surrounding it is quickly fading. We know that seeking professional help for a short period of time or a lifetime is not a sign of weakness or failure. Instead, it is a rich lesson of empowerment that we can pass on to our loved ones so they can have healthy and safe relationships, quality sleep, peace of mind, and learn the tools to live with traumatic memories. You can consider it another asset in terms of generational wealth. By the end of this episode, we hope your TMI takeaway will be understanding your role as a patient, the role of the clinicians, and the role of the church. Geraldine, what would you like to share with us today? So according to the American Psychological Association, as of 2015, about 5% of uh, psychiatrists were Asian, 5% were Hispanic, and 4% of psychiatrists were Black. So as you can see, those numbers are very, very small. Um, compared to the rest of the population, there uh, is a lack of black healthcare professionals, black and uh, brown healthcare professionals in the mental health field. And black patients, the reason that this is an issue is that black patients uh, tend to feel more comfortable seeing a provider that looks like them, that um, shares some of the same, you know, cultural beliefs or values as them. However, um, because of these uh, low uh, numbers of um, psychiatrists in the black and brown communities, Patients tend to have to see non-Black therapists for their needs, which sometimes they might not get everything that they need to get out of that visit because they might not feel that that provider can uh, doesn't understand what they're going to because going through because they don't share uh, the same. They're not part of the same culture or the same ethnic background. Um, So, yeah. Okay, so, Jodine, you mentioned two titles. Perhaps you can tell us the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist. That's a great, great uh, point. So psychiatrists are medical doctors. So they're, uh, they essentially go to medical school. However, they specialize in psychiatry. So they can diagnose illness, provide a range of therapies for typically serious mental health uh, illnesses, as well as manage uh, treatment for those illnesses. The patients that psychiatrists typically see, they include patients with bipolar, schizophrenia, um, those that uh, deal with uh, suicidal ideation or suicide attempts. Um, and then as far as for psychologists, they uh, they also see patients, but they tend to hold a, either a master's or a doctor, doctorate degree in psychology. Clinical psychologists have special training in the diagnosis and treatment of mental health illness. However, they cannot prescribe medication. So that's the key difference between psychologists and psychiatrists. Um, psychologists cannot prescribe medication. However, they still see patients. They still treat some of uh, some you know similar conditions that the psychiatrists treat. But they're more like psychologists are more likely to see people with conditions that can be helped effectively with psychological treatments, such as like 
therapy, um, counseling, and it can include behavioral problems, learning difficulties, depression, and anxiety. Um, instead of, uh, like I said, they don't prescribe medication, so they can see the patients that may not necessarily need medication, but still need therapy. Not everyone needs medication and not everybody wants medication. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> and while there is a difference in their education and training, they are both more than well equipped to assist you with your needs based on what those needs are. And both of them can help you identify which one of them is the best suited for you, as well as your primary care provider. Maybe we should have been called a primary care provider promotion podcast. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's we are hot on the press about that, let me tell you. So all of this conversation really leads me to think, so like what difference can having a therapist that looks like you, like what difference can that make? So when you're able to talk to um, a therapist about your issues, um, so a therapist that looks like you, that shares the same um, background, uh, ethnic background or, or uh, cultural background, they you know, when you're when you're in that therapy session with that provider, you won't have to like stop and translate your culture to that provider. Um, they more than likely will already know what you're, you know, kind of going through. So it kind of saves you time <laughs> in that session. So you can kind of skip through, you know, trying to understand why you do things a certain way or why, you know, you believe certain things. And you can, it allows you to get to the root of, you know, the issues once and for all. For example, I had a friend who um, was in the military and experienced, um, you know, racism in the military. And he also, you know, got out and uh, suffered from PTSD. So he wanted, it was very, very important for him to see um, a therapist, a black therapist, because he felt that they can emphasize, empathize with him um, about what he went through. Although that therapist that he was seeing may not necessarily have gone through racism or may not have gone through the same extent of racism that uh, my friend has gone through, but they more than likely are able to empathize and help um, that patient kind of navigate through those issues and that trauma. Um, as far as uh, having the provider that looks like them. So, you know, I'm glad that you shared that story. Um, it makes me think about my own life, really, because um, about a year ago, something just felt different in my life. I couldn't put my finger on it, didn't really know what it was, but I didn't feel like me. So I was in the process of seeking therapy. What did that look like? I never was someone that thought I needed therapy. I was like, everything's fine in my life. I mean... I have friends. I talk to people when things go wrong or whatever, but I never felt like I needed someone to talk to. But I, I could feel a shift in my own energy. So I did some self-reflection there. I was like, maybe I should just talk to someone. Let's, let's see what this is like. Mm -hmm. But I was very adamant that I wanted to talk to someone that looked like me. And that's not to say that other therapists would not have been equipped to handle you know, whatever I, I threw at them, but there was a level of comfort knowing while everyone's life experiences are different, um, there are some things that, you know, just ex just being in this world as a Black woman that another Black woman will just understand. We don't have to talk about it. We don't have to acknowledge it. But we will have the same lived experience because we're Black women in America. So um, that was very important for me. And interestingly enough, I got connected with my current therapist through one of my sorority sisters. She sees um, the same therapist. And, you know, everyone has their own journey of finding other therapists that, that works for them. It just so happened that I met um, my current therapist and we clicked and it worked. And I, I could feel comfortable and open to share with her um, in this current space in my life. 
I, I see her and I feel fine. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing going wrong. And, um, I just still see her once a month and we catch up and she's like, what's new? And I just tell her all the things that are going on in my life. And that's our hour that we spend together. Um, but it is nice just to talk to someone who doesn't really know me yeah. and they don't know anything about, they don't know anything more than what I share with them. And they're able to give me objective advice to kind of help me look introspectively and think about things on a day-to-day basis. Um, and once again, I think her advice comes from a place um, of, and I trust her advice because it comes from a place of she's living through, and she sees the world in a similar lens that I do because she is a woman of color. So uh, that's my uh, take on and why I thought it was really important for me personally to have a therapist that looks like me. So, um, well, let me just say, yeah, we are so grateful that you were willing to share your story. And we know that it's going to touch a lot of lives, not only our patients, uh, but also other clinicians. They're going to relate to you. And you hit on a few key points that are important to mention about therapy. You're not going to always need therapy forever. Right. Right. And in the beginning, you might have seen them once a week. You might have seen them every two weeks. And now you're seeing her once a month. Right. Mm -hmm. For a little tune up, a little checkup, a little check in. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's going to look different for everyone, just like you said. So. Exactly. So you may be asking yourself, um, how do you find one? And are there fees associated? Is there financial assistance? So there are various websites that allow you to narrow your search to find Black providers. And um, we can share some of, some of those with you in our show notes. Um, so something else that I kind of want to touch on in this topic is that um, in the, you know, hospital setting, what does mental health look like? So you do have an increased risk for anxiety and depression during your hospitalization, especially after being diagnosed with chronic, progressive, or terminal diseases. Mm -hmm. As you can imagine, telling someone they're going to deal with something for the rest of their life, that's a lot to take in. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, just some telling someone, you know, you're going to have to take this diabetes pill for the rest of your life. Telling someone, yeah, we can give you that transplant to keep sustaining your life, but you're going to be on medications for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Telling someone, hey, this diagnosis could mean it's the, you know, the end of your life. Mm-hmm. All of those things um, affect people different ways and they can affect your mental health. Um, and of course, we have noticed that black and brown patients' mental health is often overlooked and undertreated. Um, you know, and there's there's a variety of reasons for that. You know, we don't have to go through a history lesson here today, but um, that we also are firm believers. And that's another reason why it's always good to have an advocate, to have someone on your side and to have people in the room that look like you. So once again, we we understand those lived experiences. Um, I could tell you many of times where patients have come into the hospital and maybe they, especially black and brown patients have come in and they were deemed aggressive mm. or um, unruly or non-compliant. That's the word we mm. like to use. Yep. <laughs> um, but when we really took a deep dive into it and did some reflection, it's not so much that they're non-compliant. It's that they're, maybe they are in a space in their life where they have to choose between food and medicine. Yeah. And food's going to win every time. 
Maybe they are the sole provider in their family and they're worried about making sure their kids have clothes for school or shoes or supplies Mm -hmm. and taking care of themselves is the last thing they want to do. But unfortunately, they ended up in the hospital. We're taking away their money because they got to go to work Mm -hmm. and all they're worried about is getting to work. And they don't they don't really want to hear that their blood pressure is 200 over 106. And they're like, I hear you, but I got to go to work. So. To you, they're coming off aggressive. They're not compliant. They don't want to do what you what you want them to do. But really, the bottom line of that is that their mental health is being is taking a toll on, or it's what's it's being reflected in um, their life environment. It's a lot of stuff going on, and we see this all the time that patients are typecast in a certain way when really they're dealing with some serious mental issues and. Um, and they might not have the health literacy right. or the coping tools. And so what you're seeing is the what that looks like when you don't know how to process information or to manage those anxiety or that depression. So what steps can clinicians take to recognize mental health needs in their patients? I think step one is just to sit and talk to your patient. You know, there's a lot you can learn about someone's history, their current living situation. Um future concerns that they have. Um, just you you have to sit and communicate and talk with your patient. Um, look at their body language. There's a lot someone can tell you without saying a word. You know, if they're withdrawn, if they ask you questions and they don't open their eyes, they're under their covers, they want the lights off all the time, that's saying something without saying anything at all, right? So, it, it may take the time where you're like, is it okay if I turn the lights on? I'm going to come sit next to you. Tell me what's going on. Why Why are you feeling this way? Of course, they may be in, they, they tell you they came in for abdominal pain. But what really it is, is undiagnosed depression. But we're not worried about that, right? We we ran the CT scan. <laughs> we, this, it's, there, we can't find it. We can't find any issue with the abdominal pain. But that abdominal pain is real to that patient, right? But we didn't consider that maybe there was a mental health diagnosis that's that's contributing to that um, pain. And then we, uh, as clinicians, need to listen to understand instead of listening to respond. So while the patient's talking, we can't be thinking of the response in the middle of their discussion. We have to really listen and understand what they're saying. Um, Try not to read into it too much. Take their word for face value. Um, and really show them that you care and that their mental health isn't their mental health. We have to treat their mental health just as seriously as their physical health because mm-hmm. they're all combined in one. So if you're physically healthy, but you're not mentally healthy, you know, that could, that could pose challenges. But if you're um, and then the same as the opposite. So if you're mentally healthy, but you're not physically healthy, um, that could pose some challenges for you. So we want to make sure that you're well in all areas of your life. And so the American Psychological Association is a great resource both for patients and clinicians. For patients, what we really love about that, that site is you can be very specific and use different filters on the kind of clinician that you want in terms of counseling, down to race, gender identity, 
location. It gets very, very specific. So we highly recommend that for patients. And then for clinicians, they do have resources for continuing education, webinars, and they're all free. We know the biggest barrier to doing what Alicia said, sitting down, talking to our patients and taking the time to do these continuing education credits is time. It's our biggest barrier as clinicians. But we, ha- if we want to see different outcomes, we have to do different things. And uh, you can always just table it for when you have to do the continuing education credits. Just make sure that we put them at the top of your list on things to address. But a lot of these you can do um, while you're doing other things with your hands. I always say, because you can listen to it. There's audio. Do it on the toilet. Do it when you're waiting in line. Do it while you're driving, cleaning, cooking, charting, walking. Your ears are free most of the time. And so that's what I do. I take advantage of those. Um, and so we encourage you to look at look for those opportunities when your ears are available. So, Kimberly, you know, during our introduction, we talked about um, what how can religion play into your mental health, especially in the black and brown communities? So we know that in communities of color, religion is a huge barrier to not only accepting that there is an issue, but seeking help, particularly professional help, clinical medical help, because I think we're pretty good at seeking uh, spiritual help and spiritual guidance, but sometimes we find that that is not enough. And so what we want to take the time out in this episode to emphasize is that our psychological health is just as important as any other organ. We are comfortable seeing specialists for heart disease, diabetes, vision impairment, and yet for some reason we still struggle with seeing someone for our mental health. Individually, we have to understand we are responsible for our health. Having a healthcare provider help manage parts of your mind or body does not eliminate the need to still have someone or community care for your spiritual body. There is plenty of data to support that spiritual health and spirituality has a significant impact on how well someone manages their disease. There is room for both a mental health expert and a spiritual guide. There are mental health experts who are also believers and people who share your faith. They would be more than willing to offer counseling or direct you to professionals who can. You know, my new perspective, particularly over the um, pandemic, I consume a lot of content. And what I love seeing in these last few years is a lot of young black and brown men of different ages being very vocal about talking about them seeking counseling. They've been so transparent and that has really changed a lot of my perspective. So now my whole, what I say is I think everyone needs a therapist, just like everyone needs a dentist. The last thing you do is wait till your tooth is, till you have a toothache or your teeth are falling apart. Mm-hmm. If we can teach you ahead of time how important it is to brush and floss and to see your doc, your dentist every six months, we can avoid a lot of those complications. Just like a psychologist or a psychiatrist can give us those tools because life is full of stress. Mm-hmm. Everyone's going to have stress, regardless of your age, socioeconomic status, whether you're single, married, or have children. Whatever you do, whoever you are, we're all going to have stress. But with the difference between one person and the next is whether or not they have the tools to manage that stress. And that's what a mental health professional can give you, the tools for when that stress comes. And you might not need the tools all the time. And as you grow and as your life changes, your tools might need to change. And they're, they're they're, they're there to help you with that. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better myself, Kimberly. So our TMI takeaways for this episode and what we hoped you learned is that you understand what mental health means and how it presents itself on a daily basis. Representation matters. Identifying mental health in Black and Brown individuals and having access to Black and Brown therapists. Uh, By combining your religious beliefs with taking your medications, if you choose, 
talking about problems with a professional, and learning to use coping mechanisms. You can decrease your anxiety, understand how to function through your depression, and learn the tools to support family members with bipolar, schizophrenia, and PTSD, and any other mental health condition. You can find a list of free resources in the show notes for mental health, including therapy, online resources, and community initiatives. In healthcare, there's often too much information and not enough time. Here at the Melanin Initiative, we avoid TMI by breaking things down in a language you can understand. We create a safe space to ask your questions and share our nursing perspective without taking too much of your time. Thanks for tuning in and join us every Tuesday at 10 a.m. TMI. Bye. Thank you for watching. Listening. <laughs> Listening, watching, oh. all, all the things. <laughs> and don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. That's all for now. <laughs> oh. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we didn't give you too much information. Join us next Tuesday at 10 for a new episode of the Melanin Initiative.